Since I was actually really, really young, I always was like, ah, I'm different. Like, I'm different. I'm going to do something different. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to do something. In today's episode, I talked to Yusra Mardini. We recorded our conversation in her flat in Hamburg before the world went into lockdown. So much has changed since my last podcast episode, and I know that lots of you will be listening to this whilst isolating at home. At least I hope so. And I really hope that everyone is feeling okay. I'm sure that you guys can all relate, but life feels a little bit up in the air for me right now. Literally everything in my calendar for the next few months has been cancelled, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that. But during isolation, I've definitely recognised that there are some things that can never be cancelled, and they're the things that are actually most important of all, I guess. I feel like I've been having deeper conversations, I feel like I've been focusing more on my relationships, I've been reading more, creating more. If I've taken anything away from the last few weeks, it's that physical distancing and social isolation doesn't stop us from learning and sharing and listening and growing. This pandemic is giving us all an opportunity to show up in the way that feels right for ourselves and for everyone around us. Nothing like this has ever happened before, so we all have a choice now with how we deal with it. So let's take this time to do ourselves proud and use it as a trigger to move forwards with more unity and perspective and intention. So on that note, I'll be here continuing to amplify the voices of as many inspirational people as possible through this podcast from a distance over the next few weeks. I want to keep celebrating people like Yusra who know exactly what it feels like to not have borders open to them or the freedom to travel or to be separated from loved ones for a long period of time. And my hope is that when things return to normal, in inverted commas, that normal looks different and that All of us come out of the other side of this with even more empathy for refugees, for asylum seekers, and actually just generally for each other. So back to Yusra's story. It's an amazing one. From swimming her boat to shore when crossing as a refugee from Turkey to Greece, to swimming in the Rio Olympics one year later, and going on to write a book, meet Barack Obama, and advocate for refugees worldwide. I'm so sure that Yusra's story of overcoming adversity is exactly what is needed during this pivotal moment in history. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to the Worldwide Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Jazz O'Hara, and together with some very special guests, we'll be taking you on a journey across the world without you having to go anywhere. We're here to amplify voices, from the people leaving their countries and everything behind them, to the volunteers working alongside them. We'll be hearing from those currently living in refugee camps and people working on the front line, the real heroes of today, the humans behind the statistics and the headlines. Join me as we transcend borders, nationalities, religions and languages to hear from the people with which we share this world, our worldwide tribe. This is a real 
pleasure for me because I actually wrote about you just on my blog. I remember reading your story in like 2016 and it was like one of the most popular the way that people responded to your story at the time was incredible this example of overcoming adversity which is something that people connect to much more than like all the negative stuff that we see in the news a lot right yeah and I think that's what's so powerful about what you've achieved oh thank you I'm really happy to talk to you today as well the story is it's always crazy to think about it I think it grabbed the people's attention because you know it it went from something really crazy and sad to something really good and like to me you know achieving what I have dreamed of since I was a little girl I've been swimming since I was three years old yeah I think that's why it grabbed people's attention because it was always like uh, from a refugee to to an athlete or, or to, to an Olympian. I always tell people that that's true, but like I'm still the same refugee and that I didn't go from refugee to an Olympian. I've been like a swimmer my whole life. I've worked for that my whole life. And I think it's always important to let people know everything that actually happened before to get to this point. Yeah, we thought me and my sister telling the story would help young girls, would help people who are struggling every day to appreciate what they have because we didn't know what we had until we lost it. And we didn't want people to realize that after it's too late or after knowing, okay, I I am miles and miles away from my family actually and I don't know if I'm going to see them again. And then realizing, oh, my life was amazing. So that's why we always tell the story, we always motivate people. We, you don't have to be motivated all the time, every day. That's, that's not true. Every person have their time where it's, uh, you know, today I don't want to do anything. Today I just want to watch Netflix and sit home. I don't want to train. Like, it's not like that every day I wake up, oh my God, I'm so excited. I wake up at like 6.30 and I hate it every day. Like, I really hate waking up early in the morning. But then you think, you know what? I'm doing that because of the end result. And not because I like waking up at 6.30. It's because I love swimming. It's because I am holding a message. It's because it's my passion. So that's what I'm trying to let people know, that it's okay to do something you don't like to get to where you are. Yeah, that's that's why like I'm using my voice. I'm doing speeches. I'm always telling people that I was also a teenager, like and I'm still a teenager. But like uh, I was also once like I just cared about what I'm wearing or how I look and everything until I realized life is not about that. I realized that right now I my my voice is so powerful that I can actually help people through it. I can tell them my story to learn from it and I can even motivate people, I hope, with with my story, with what I'm doing today, still working on my dreams and after a year of just coming to a very different country, like I still wanted to achieve my dream. So that's what I'm always trying to tell people, you know, no matter where you are, what happens, just keep going for it because it will show off, like the result will come. Yeah. I've explained a lot already, right? Yeah, we can just finish there. (laughs) So you think through telling your story, you and your sister, that actually you can encourage people to recognize what they have now in this moment without having to go through losing it all, but to actually feel like they're not taking for granted their situation. Yeah, that's that's one point. And the other point is like the, the problem is here or in any really developed country, really rich country or something like that. I talk mostly about Europe right now or America like that, you know, you have everything. 
you've offered education, you everything, everything you, you can ever like think of. If you go and work at a supermarket, you get good money. If if you're a teenager and you can live your life, you can party, you can study, you can do everything you want. And I think they got to a point the the, the teenagers that they don't know what to do anymore. They're like uh i don't know they started doubting themselves their dreams they're like am i good enough oh look she's pretty i'm not that as pretty there's also the social media is making even me when i look at like lots of people say oh you're so pretty but then i'm like scrolling down on social media i'm like oh my nose oh my and uh, sometimes i was thin like it made me not eat you know so that i understand and i feel like Social media is good because we always like uh, get a really powerful message in some way, but we have to use it in the right way because if it affected a lot of people around me and I don't want it to affect me that way. So that's why I decided, you know what, I I know that there are people who are much prettier than me, but I'm happy with how how I look and who I am. And I always like want uh, people to understand that It is nice to be different. It is nice to look different. I could not agree more. I mean, everything you're saying resonates so strongly with me and the message that we're all constantly trying to put out through the Worldwide Tribe, especially, you know, when you're talking about we're all different and that's a beautiful thing to actually celebrate those differences right um but then also underneath all of that we're also all human that we all have like good days and bad days and days where we want to watch netflix but when it comes to your story let's go back to the beginning because as you say your life now is very different and the country that you live in is very different from Mm -hmm. growing up in syria right what did your life look like in syria as a kid um it was a pretty normal life i mean a lot of people like expect syria to be i don't know desert or like a place where there's no technology and so on yeah. but, but let me tell <laughs> no one's you, got a phone yeah, no? <laughs> yeah let me tell you one thing like uh syria is a very very rich country of culture of uh you know differences of people who love and adore art i know lots of people and um we were we were happy like when i was young like i had to train the whole time we were like just I, so as example, a normal day was like, okay, I wake up, I go to school and then I get picked up from school to training. And afterwards, like I had gym and then I come back. It's like then eight or something or six. So since you were super young, you were already training. Yeah. Yeah. And is that because you already loved to swim or how did that start? Not at all. <laughs> I hated it. Actually, I, I, when I was really, really young, we started because my father wanted us to be swimmers. Like he, your parents are quite active. Yeah. As well. Like my mother was a, a physical therapist and my father uh, was our coach our swimming coach and uh, when I was young actually till I was 10 years old I hated swimming like of course I loved competitions I loved to watch the Olympic games I watched like the world championships and so on but like I hated training and I I always cried because it was cold no matter how warm the water is it was cold for me and I always ran away like uh, to my mother like she was sitting outside and I would run to her and um yeah of course like my father would pick me up again and put me in the water but like I really hated swimming when I was young with 12 13 years old I started to you know be better than people who are like five years older than me 
And then I realized, oh, you know, I'm good at that. And I, I, I do love it. As much as I hate it, I do love it. I didn't realize, actually, I loved swimming until, like, I left it for a whole year because of war. And there I realized, like, I started partying, I started going out, I started, like, meeting people, like, that they didn't have any passion or any goals in life. And I, I, I just started listening to people talking about people and like drama and all of that. And I was like, wait a sec, that's not me. And I don't want to be a person who just lives. I, I was like, you know, what? I want to do something in my life. When I, when I, when I'm gone, I want people to remember that I've done something. I changed something. So yeah, we had normal life, school, friends, swimming, family, and, um, like any other child. And how old were you when you started to feel that things were changing in your country? I was in the seventh grade, so uh, I think I was 13. The first time I heard anything about war was in the school bus. Um, uh, some kids wrote freedom on the wall and then the teacher hid them and then it got bigger and bigger. So it started with kids. I also remember like being in our flat, as example, like I... I it was so dark, like there was no electricity or something. And then I saw the bullets go from a side to another. Oh my so, God. Yeah. And, and I don't know why, but I always wanted to, to stay on the window to see everything. But my mom was like, you know, grabbing me back. She was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I want to, I want to see. Because I, I was a child, a basically. I was, like, I was like, what's happening? Like, I don't know. I was more curious than afraid to know what's happening, to know who's hurt. I, I wanted to know everything. And I also remember trying to run away like with a, with a car out of the area where our, our flat was, staying by my grandma for like months, renting uh, a flat after another because uh, either it got too expensive or the area is bad, full so of So this war. is after you had to leave your home? Yeah. Uh, we left really early. We left after uh, two years of war already because our area was a little bit like it was on the side of the city and there it was really bad already. This was my first like really memory of the whole war and so on. Do you remember fear as a kid? I do. I don't know if I ever realized that like I will die or something, but I lost friends of mine. I saw like bullets flying in front of my face. It was horrifying for a child, you know, to live through everything, to see their houses destroyed, to, to you know, to, to hear that people are dying every day, like people you know. Sometimes I didn't want to talk to anyone because I lost people I know. But I think what made me like feel better, obviously, like having my, my parents next to us, my sister. It was so crazy that while the war is happening outside, you're like in your cozy uh, with two candles because you don't have electricity. You don't know if you have water sometimes or sometimes not. Like sitting with your sister and then, oh, you're stupid. And like, you know, the small yeah, conversation. Like sisters. <laughs> exactly. Like, like just sisters, because you don't have anything to do. You, you cannot even study on a one candlelight. You basically can't do anything except of listening the whole time to a war you never, ever chose to have. We were so um, busy trying to, you know, to, to afford food, to work, to do, to do that, 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 that we, 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 we really forgot how to live. Do you think that your parents tried to protect you from what was happening around you? 
Yeah, I think so. But like also they gave us responsibility. They knew that we could take it. Like when when I was 15, I started already working in a in the pool as a um what is it? Lifeguard? Yeah, yeah. So I started yeah, with 15 I started working as a lifeguard in summer. My my sister, my older sister like started working yeah, different jobs uh, to help my mom because like after I think two or three years of war, my dad left to another country to Jordan for a swim coach um, job and because it was it was better for us you know to have a bit money so my mom worked my sister worked I, I worked in summer and took care of my little sister so that's what I'm saying you're always working that you really forget how to live or like it was so crazy like ah oh, my mom had to afford food at least like every time and and um, yeah those are times I don't want to live again yeah, so actually you took on a lot of responsibility from yeah, a young, young age. age. Yeah, that's true. And then what was the moment, do you remember that moment that you and your sister decided that you, it was time for you to leave Syria? In the beginning, no one wanted to go out of the country, obviously. Like we thought, ah, it's something small would go away. But then we realized that actually this this is going on since like really long now then in 2014 or 13 like people started to go in summer always with a uh, to another country to sweden to to germany and so on and a lot of our our friends left and a lot of people really like a huge amount of syrian people like left and then we were like oh why don't we try that? But my parents said always no, no, no. And at one point, like, I don't know how, but my dad was like, you know what? Like, find someone I trust. You go with someone I trust and I'm okay with it. He just said it because no one, who? He didn't think yeah, he'd find he didn't someone. Think we were, yeah. And then my sister. <laughs> he underestimated you. Yeah, exactly. So my sister worked at um, Zara, I think, yeah. uh, for a while. And one of my father's cousins, actually, he saw her there and they were talking. And then he told her, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going with my uncle. So she was like, I'm coming. We're coming yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then actually, I didn't believe that he would do it. And then I was like, yeah, we trust, like, you trust them. So let's do it. And then he was like, okay. And then I was like, okay, like, it's never happening. Like, I know him. And um, then actually, yeah, they booked the, the flight tickets to Beirut, then Turkey. Yeah, it was crazy. But after a week of him deciding that it's okay, we left. Wow. So only. you literally had a week from to do that everything. moment. Yeah, I mean, you don't need life. to pack anything. Yeah, I mean, we lost our childhood pictures. We either got all burnt. All my medals or my trophies from swimming, they all are gone. It's it's actually really sad, like to leave everything behind. Yeah. And then even on the trip, they, I we had a, like a very small bag. We had like some medicine in it, four or five t-shirts because it was summer, and uh, two pants. But that's that's basically it and your phone and uh, I even tried to take just one necklace and I lost it in the sea so um, I, yeah, I, we basically came here with really nothing except of our memory about everything So you were 17 your sister was how old when you guys uh, she, she's, uh, she was 20 20 yeah and you left behind your mum your dad and a little sister yeah and how did that feel that moment that you actually left them um I think it wasn't as hard for us as for them because for us it was like we 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 were thinking about will the money be enough will we be safe all of that and my mom obviously thought of the same things but about her daughters like uh, I I 
could never imagine how hard that was for her. When we said goodbye in the airport, uh, she was there, my grandpa was there, and my dad wasn't there, he was in Jordan. But uh, and my my little sister, she's the one who who did, she didn't realize till the moment at the airport that we're leaving that she won't see us like for like she's super young still. Isn't she, she was really young, and and then she started crying, and then like like she she realized that they're really going. Like where are we, where are they going? When are we gonna see each other again? Yeah. I guess none of you knew the answer. Yeah, to that. exactly. And then my mom started crying, and then we were like, okay, okay, we will just go. And then everyone started crying. Um, yeah, it was it was really heavy. Yeah, I can not even imagine. And what was the reason that you guys didn't all decide to go together? Why did your mum and dad and your little sister want to stay? I didn't want them to go mm. through something like that. And I would never, ever want that for my little sister. I was like, no, we can go through everything. We can sleep on the floor. We can, I don't know, be hungry for a long time. But I would never wish that on my little sister or my mother. I was like, and my mom wanted to come with us. We said, no, you will not. And my father, like his job was good in Jordan. He was happy. He didn't want to go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's like you send the strongest and you two were strong and ready to kind of take on that journey, right? And then, yeah, you could find somewhere safe for the rest of your family to join you. We actually didn't know that we were strong enough until we were there and until we went through everything. Like my my older sister always was like, ah, you're like the little spoiled kid because I was like the youngest for nine years. And then we had our, my little sister. And I was like always the one, like my older sister, oh, go, they love you. And I was like, so small and everything. So, so no one actually realized, like thought that I would ever be that powerful I was shy when I was young like right now I think they would never like have imagined that I would have a really strong voice that I would be you know talked to yeah exactly no one yeah yeah because I was like just swimming school and I'm fine like that's it (laughs) so you guys flew to Beirut and then to Turkey and then Turkey to Greece is the part of your journey that you're pretty I mean, a lot of people who are listening to this will know you for what happened. So um, when we were in Turkey, they take you on a bus. You can't use your phone. You cannot talk to anyone. You can't tell anyone where you are. My parents, and they knew where we are because we like downloaded the app like Baby Tracker that, to see where your kids are always. So we did that. And like whenever we could like use our phone, we just let them on. And sometimes it's, we, didn't, we couldn't charge them. Like at one point, we couldn't contact them, nothing. They knew nothing about us. The fifth day, we got on a boat. The, this boat wasn't actually um, a good one. Like, they broke it before we got in. Uh, Smugglers. Yes, because they had a fight. Because there are, like, two halves, like, one from Iraq and half of them from Afghanistan. They, but they worked together, and then they had a fight. The last Gone. thing you want in that moment. Yeah, and <laughs> then, like... Smugglers fighting with each exactly. other. Exactly, <laughs> and then the Iraqi one, they broke the boat with a knife. And then afterwards, they fixed it. I don't know how. But they fixed the same it. boat mm-hmm. and then it was ours and then we got on it and then obviously no refugee ever got from the first try like to the other side always you try like i know people who try 10 times or 15 times to get on the boat so we actually we were lucky kind of uh, because like we could leave after two times yeah of trying i remember the first time we tried to go uh 
there was like I don't know 22 people on the boat and then the police came like from the uh, from Turkish. the shore yeah exactly they came with the boat and then we had to go back I was crying already because like everyone got off the boat and it, it was so fast and then my my leg got stuck on in the rocks because I was wearing Timberland you look uh, cool <laughs> yeah so this this time was good for me to know that I have to throw the stupid Timberland and I had like flip-flops on afterwards and then we got on the boat. So they tell you it's 45 minutes uh, on the boat and uh, I think it's to 10 kilometers to the other island. Yes, after we got on the boat, it was windy. It was the whole time like the boat, you know, it has to go straight, but it was always flipping and going back to Turkey and we didn't want that. After 15 minutes, the motor stopped. The water started to fill the boat. And then actually the friend of my father was with us and he was the first one to jump into the water. And then he got out after five minutes and he was like, you know what, we have to work together. Four people have to go in the water. Some people have to get water out of the boat. Throw everything you have except of your phone or your money. We have to... To make it work. Throw it overboard. Exactly. So afterwards, the first first person, obviously, to stand up and say I'm going to the water was my sister. She went to the water and then uh, and then I stood up and I went from the other side and we were fighting. She, she because, didn't want you to get in. No. She's like, get on the boat. And I was like, I'm not getting on the boat. I was like, you know what, you're a swimmer, I'm a swimmer. No, I'm not going up. So she's worrying about swimming and she's worrying about you. Yeah, and I think she was way more worried, worried about me because before we started like the whole thing, she was like, if anything happens at any point, you leave everyone, you leave me and you swim. And of course, I didn't want to do that. I would never do that, like leave my sister and then continue like I'm not crazy it was really sad to hear your sister say something like this you know because I, I didn't take it seriously like okay that okay she's my sister she's always there and like at this point she was like you leave everything seriously you leave me and you swim and then when we were in the water like two other guys like went to the water we were in front me and my sister and they were in the back and they always like changed between other people but me and my sister stayed and like um I felt really bad for her because the last half an hour I went on the boat every time she wanted to go on the boat they didn't let her no one on the boat let her uh, why because they knew that we were swimmers and whatever happens she can swim she can continue and a lot of people on the boat couldn't swim i guess right yeah i, w I was sad because she's the first one who's like stood up and, and the men wow. were sitting on the boat and she was the one like in the water so um yeah i have really a lot of respect for this woman so after three hours and a half we arrived uh, and then we contacted my parents that we are we are there and so you swam the boat all the way to shore uh, in, no, not the whole time. We were we were trying to stabilize the boat. So this is a, also crazy. Uh, the media always make me the one who's putting a rope uh, around my my waist and swimming freestyle. That's not true. I was my weight was fifty one, fifty two, and the people, all the people together. I don't know. It was like three hundred kilos or something like this. So please all people like you have to understand that i did not yeah, do that it's not gonna work yeah i'm a normal human so we were on the sides of the boat right we always try try to stabilize the boat to get it down always because it, it was as i said it was turning around and going back always because of the wind mm -hmm. we were trying to pull it always down 
So I had like one hand there and then I tried to swim with the other hand and, and kicks as, as much as I could. We tried like to help as much as we could. Yeah, it was a crazy experience and I even had to do like really funny faces for a kid because a kid was sitting on the boat and he was like just looking around. He, he, he really didn't realize what's happening and at one point his father went to the water. I was like, I, I, I wish that would never happen again to anyone, like ever again. And um, yeah, so while I was like almost, I don't know, drowning, I, I, I had to make funny faces for him you were trying to make this kid laugh yeah because like i didn't wanna i didn't want him to feel what's happening and uh, uh that's a funny part after we arrived we were like how did you feel the trip did you like it and then he was like no i don't want to go to the sea again <laughs> and then yeah because yeah kids are smart he felt it yeah, yeah. as much as many funny faces as you can make yeah. you can still feel yeah. i guess yeah that's true So you made it to Lesvos. This is 2015? Uh, 15. 15. 15. 15. Um, it was August. And did you know that you wanted to go to Germany at that point? Yes, we knew. We knew. We were sure that we, we want to go. Like, I mean, we didn't really care which country, but we said from the beginning Germany. Because first of all, you have good rights in this country. You can live a peaceful life. That's all we knew. I mean, and we knew that it's cold, but like, other than that, we didn't know anything. We just wanted to go to a place where there is actually water, electricity and a life. That's that's all we thought about. And I'm not going to lie. I also thought they are good in swimming. So that's why I also thought of, I was like, yeah, Germany, they're good. So I mean, that's an important factor, right? Yeah, it's crazy that I... Even like in, a, in my darkest times in my life, I was also thinking about swimming. I'm like, now when I think about it, I'm like, am I crazy? I wasn't thinking about my life at that point. Like, oh, they're good swimmers. I've been thinking about swimming my whole life. It's crazy, yeah. It's cool. It's it, it, like you said at the beginning, it's like having that drive and that passion. Yeah. It's more than just kind of living day to day. It's like what you're putting your energy and yeah. focus into. Yeah. And it's beautiful to have something like that, yeah, whatever that is, true. right? That's true. So from Lesvos to Germany, how long did that take you? After Lesvos to Germany, it took us basically 15 days or, or 20 days. Are there any points in that bit of the journey that stand out to you? Hungary, it was it was terrifying to be honest. Inf information. I love the Hungarian people. I love Hungary because they're always apologizing on my social media. They're always, I'm so sorry this happened to you in my country and all of that. Uh, I, I blame the police, not you people. I, I love the people and I have friends even now, like swimmers and so on. Yeah, but like it, it was humiliating. I didn't feel like a human there. I felt like a. I'm gonna be honest. I felt like a rat. I I felt like I don't have any rights. I felt like I am there to steal something from them. And you go with 100 euros to the store, and he 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 get he uh, he kicks you out. They don't let you buy buy anything from the store. And if uh, you're lucky, only the food stores they let you buy anything. And when you go to a hotel there. If you get in and they know you're a refugee, they tell you, yes, you can stay without giving me the passport, but you have to pay two more, uh, 200 euros. The, the other thing that when we were there at Kalati station, it's like a train station, we bought fake tickets, which costed every refugee 300 euros. So people sold you fake tickets. So yeah, there's people. No, even the, 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 that's sad to say, but it's the, 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 train, the train station. 
the people they're working there uh, but then, then the trains never got there also where we were in the train station the police surrounded the area because like they make you feel like you're you're i don't know criminal the police were, were hitting everyone even women and children and i don't respect that in any way no matter what the situation is the refugees were protesting because the money and they were mad like making 300 euros for like from for us my dad work in jordan and we got like money to pay it again but some people they don't they they go to every, from a country to another and they work there so they can afford going to another country afterwards i'm telling you like refugees lots of people have this thinking about refugees they don't have money they're blah blah, blah. we pay 10,000 euros to get to europe in 25 days that's heavy um, I always tell people, you know, they, they sold everything they have to come here. So do not expect them to, you know, just want to steal your job or just want to steal your money. And I always, always, in every speech I say, in every conversation I have, I'm like, if you're really good enough at your job, no one will steal it from you. I'm always yeah, with this sentence. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, Hungary was really hard for me. I heard a lot of stories on the way, like some people even were killed because they had money some some girls were uh, uh, raped and all of that and it, this was like my biggest fear like that me or my sister but like we got really lucky we got to know like 30 people in turkey and this group protected protected us the whole way not we didn't even know each other we we just met and we shared food we we like you know we always took care of each other the men were always surrounding us while sleeping it would have been hard to if we were without them like uh, two girls and i am really thankful that i met them and that was one thing that i wanted to ask you about actually is where you felt kindness along the way and it sounds like yeah within the group that you yeah. were traveling with yeah. that you Built a strong connection. Even even in the worst country, as example, uh, Hungary, like there there was a one taxi driver I would never forget in my whole life. Like he was driving like a maniac to just get us to the station because we knew that the buses from Germany came to pick up to pick the refugees up, and he was driving crazy. And I was like, you know, wherever you go, whatever happens, there 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 is goodness and and. And people, you know, he cared enough he to cared, get you on that exactly. bus. He understood what what we've been through. We we've been to jail in in Hungary because a woman told um, a woman told that we were refugees on the train because we were trying to be European. We were trying to hide that we were refugees. As a European, you don't ever ask for your passport. Like yeah. never. You just show the ticket, and then she saw us. She told the police, and then before we knew that the police is coming to pick us up, we offered her food. My cousin offered her food and then she started crying because she, she felt guilty. Yes, because she was like, I didn't know that you are nice. And then like we went to the police and then like they put us in the stable. I hope that woman, I hope that that situation changed, I think changed her outlook her. forever. I, I hope so too. She, she, she was like, I didn't know you're nice. And then I was like, we are normal. Like Just people. Yeah. I always say I cannot assure you that 100% of refugees are nice and good but this is the world this is this is a human exactly. race exactly yeah. i mean good good people bad people like criminals yeah. heroes whatever yeah. in every community yeah. so and it's the same so yeah. people ask me that too when i was spending a lot of time in calais isn't there crime there i was like there's crime everywhere yeah you know? that's true <laughs> yeah that's true 
So yeah, so you you went to jail. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what was that like? They, they took us in like this really armed car, like the that you take really armed criminals. Like it was closed, only like this window to talk to the police from the. So this was really humiliating because like I never hurt anyone. I I would never hurt anyone in my life. So I was like I was like, why are they treating us like that? Like mm. no, it it isn't the right way. Like I don't know, they could have took us in buses or something but like i mean it's really they this police van with everything closed you're like where where, the, where am i going like are they even police you don't know but we were lucky because there was a journalist with us yeah so he was with us and he was like you know what i'm standing here i'm taking photos if you do anything to those people i'm gonna publish it great yeah yeah they were forced to be nice to us and then they took us like to a stable uh, where the horses are But there was nothing, it was empty, but they put us there for two days and then they took us to a camp in Hungary and then they told us, yeah, if you go out before six months of this camp and then like got ca get caught again, we said, we, you can never ever cross Hungary again. You go back to the country before and you can never continue. But we ran away from camp anyway and then we met the taxi driver, the crazy one, and then he took us to the station and then we took the bus to Austria and then from there we went to Germany wow you made it yeah and straight to Berlin yeah okay yes. this is the bit that I'm most interested in yeah. I think in that you know once you arrive to Berlin and life since then I guess that's a whole nother journey of its own right integration into a culture that is completely different a language yeah. that you didn't speak right mm. and now your German's perfect yeah thank you uh so it was a really a challenge because like I as you said like I didn't speak the language I, in the beginning I didn't feel like I'm doing anything with my life because you're just sitting in a camp everyone's deciding what you have to eat everyone's deciding when you're gonna go shower and it, it was really frustrating in the beginning so when you first got here did you feel like it was a, a bit of an anti-climax of like oh this is this is it now I don't have a kind of next step of the journey yeah. or did you feel yeah how, how did that feel when you actually made it to your kind of final destination <laughs> I I hated Germany like in the beginning and I, I, I thought it's really cold. I didn't like the buildings. I felt it's really gray and I was like, I just want to go home. I didn't know that life will get better. My life could have taken way different, you know, route, but like I'm happy where it is right now. I've, I've learned a lot till now and the most, the, the craziest thing I've learned, which... I didn't know and people will help you in for nothing in return. I didn't know that before. Like the first coach that coached me in Germany, he's still a friend of the family and help us with everything. And once I was like, why are you helping us? What do you want? And he was like, uh, I don't want anything. What do you want? And then I was like, yeah, but why are you helping? What? No, I don't know. I don't think you're helping us just like that. He was like, I, I feel happy helping people. So then I, I learned a lot from this person and I learned that I, actually no matter how less I have, someone have less than me and that I can help them in return for nothing. <laughs> mm. 
swimming helps me come back to a normal life to you know know more people because like after three months we started swimming again and from that point my only friend was Sven he was the coach yeah and we would like he would stay with us for dinner and uh, because we we lived at the clubhouse afterwards they they let us live there illegally so you went from living in a refugee camp in yeah. Berlin yeah. to living in the swimming exactly. clubhouse yeah yeah the club owner and her husband like they helped us uh, with everything they sometimes even gave us money because like they give you 130 uh, euros to live the whole month in the beginning as a refugee I, I started swimming again and everything and uh, so he was like what what are what what are your goals from swimming and in the beginning he didn't believe that we trained actually in Syria he thought we trained in Canada or America because we had such so good because we had such a good technique and he was like in Syria yes, to your dad <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah my dad is really crazy about technique and about being his his athletes are the best so he was right to be honest uh, he's smart and he taught us really well and uh, yeah so afterwards like I continued swimming and I told him my goal is Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games and I was like I respect that and I'll do everything in my power to to help you and then he saw on the TV that uh, the IOC president uh, Thomas Bach announced that there are scholarships for refugee uh, uh, athletes and then like he contacted them and then I got a scholarship and then the media got crazy on, on that day we got 300 emails from media the media started to to try to get to the pool to see where I am to follow me and everything and I could never <clears throat> believe that that's real until now I I wasn't sure in the beginning I said no to going to the refugee olympic team because I didn't want people to look at me in a pity I didn't want people to, ah, oh, she's in the Olympic Games because she almost died on the way and now, like, they just chose her because of st her story. So I, I, I said, no, I'm not going. I, I don't want to go that way. My parents were like, you are crazy because you've worked your whole life. And if you do, don't remember how hard you worked, we remember how hard we worked to let you get where you are today. I, I I was hesitating even when I said yes. I wasn't sure how it will go, and and the first moment I was really one hundred percent sure that I am proud of this team. I was like, I am a refugee, and I'm not ashamed about it. It was when we entered the stadium and everyone stood up for the team. It, it was really just crazy to to enter and to have everyone's respect for for what you've been through your whole life, and then. You're like, here I am. You know what? No, I'm not going to sit around and say I'm a refugee. I'm ashamed. What, what, what about saying I am a refugee? Look what I am today after everything I've been through. Exactly. It's double respect. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. pity. It's more like you're amazing at this. And you've also experienced all this other crazy stuff. It's Thank like you. double was impressive. Yeah. So I we turned it to something really positive and... Yeah, here I am today. I'm I'm working with the UNHCR as a goodwill ambassador. I I I always do speeches. I tell the people about my story. I'm using my story to inspire people. I hope I want to have my own organization after Olympic Games again. And and now again, crazy part is I'm also training for Tokyo 2020, and it's very soon. Yeah. Wow. And how do you feel right now in life in general? It's not very easy. Uh, lots of people think you don't deserve what you have as a refugee. Lots of people underestimate my life story. Lots of people compare 
my life to theirs and they forget the part about everything I went through and some people are like ah don't you want to move on like don't why don't you move on? I'm like, I don't want to move on. It's my country and there are still a war. And I will, I don't... It's still happening. Yeah. And people are still making that exactly. journey. And to be honest, I don't want to move on. Even when I'm 40 or 50, I don't want to move on. It's a part of me. It's a part of what happened and I'm always proud of it. And I, if this story helps me come forward and, you know, let people get inspired and, you know, give them the courage to do something no matter how small it is, I would. I would always try. And I always like, now I am proud and I'm like, you know what? Think whatever you want. If you are negative, it is your problem. For me, I'm going to choose every single chance in my life to make my life better and to also use that to help people understand that it's life. It's not always good. Uh, some terrible things will happen, but we have to stand up again because life does not stop to be honest for no one and I'd rather people say I don't know how she got successful than say oh poor her and exactly there's always going to be haters there's always going to be people especially when you're putting yourself out there and you're putting yourself out there very much on social media and that's another thing that I'd love to just touch on that I guess on that day when you suddenly got those 300 emails and you started to get all that press around you and your presence I guess online started to grow and that's another factor here that you're dealing with right of how your life has changed that suddenly you are more in the public eye and people do have opinions and unfortunately we do live in a time where there it is very polarized and divided people's opinions about immigration refugees and I think that's what's so powerful about you using your voice is that people who see you who hear you speak now when they're reading headlines about refugees they might picture someone like you and think actually that's that's relatable I relate to her I recognize myself in you for example and that's a really, really powerful thing. Yeah. Um, but how do you deal with the online social media stuff? Has that been difficult at any time? So I was I was private actually till I was in the Olympic Games. I, I think the last five days I went public because I don't know, my friend, he was like, are you crazy? Why are you private still? And then I was like, I don't know, because I don't know. And then like I opened and then there was like 30,000 followers. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. And then... Um, so yeah, it, it is really crazy. But to be honest, I try uh, always to you know ignore the negative side. But but to be honest, I have way more positive people on my social media. I'm happy for that. Um, so you should. <laughs> yeah, and to be honest, there is no like till now. Every day I get everyday messages about my book. Reading, I'm reading a book. I saw the bad podcast. I saw that. I saw the interview. So it, it makes me happy. And like for the negative side, I'm always you know what. I don't know anything about them, first of all. And second of all, I can understand their fear. I I don't understand them being aggressive against refugees or saying the people who like are sitting home watching news and saying ah, refugees, those I don't understand. I think old ways won't open any new doors. There's no point in the world where we are not mixed, we are not full of cultures, we are not like black, white, different, short, tall, you know, nowhere where tell me any city right now that's only white people or black people that's crazy we're in 2020 and i'm like you know what 
Just give them a chance. Go with them to a cafe. Ask them what happened in their lives, how they are. Because I, as I said, refugee cannot be 100% nice and good and everything. We are different, just like any uh, any country in the world. And what I always say, please try to get to know us before you judge us. Because we did not choose to have war and, and violence in our country. We really just want peace and we want a new chance in life i would never ever wish that on anyone else but like if anything happens in any other country and when you think about refugees think about your kids and think about would you want them to be rejected from the country they go to of course not no one would want that so that's what i always say just please think about people put yourself in their position and then judge them or never judge them at all please <laughs> You've just hit the nail on the head with what this podcast is about. Thank so I think you. that's a really, really good place to Thank finish. Thank you. Thank you so much. Honestly, you are absolutely amazing. Thank and I've you. thought it for the last five years. So it's an absolute pleasure. <laughs> oh, to thank meet you. you. I'm happy. It's a happy Yay, podcast. Give me a hug. Thank you. Thank you, Yuzra, for giving us some food for thought whilst we're all at home. I've got lots more amazing guests and episodes lined up for this period of lockdown. So if you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review. It really helps more people to find this podcast and for me to get more stories out there. To let me know your thoughts or what you'd like to hear more of over the next few weeks, message me on Instagram at The Worldwide Tribe. The more people who come on this journey with us, the more connected we all become and the more we unite as one worldwide tribe.